podcast ain't played nobody. It was still chalk. <laughs> it was an upset, but it's still chalk. I stand by. Well, you used the word I mean, chalkiest in your in yeah. uh, your top yeah, 100. On, on average, it was the chalkiest year in a while, but it still was technically an upset in the title game. Um, do you actually know the moment in which you, you knew that Clemson was going to win the game? Um, I, I mean, Alabama, we wrote in that piece uh, at AFCA, we wrote in that coach's piece, like how, or I, that was my contribution to it, was how like no, even coaches were like, okay, the comeback starts now. I was, I mean, I was in the same boat. I, we After what we've seen them, after the, the rabbits we've seen them pull out of their hat the last two times against Georgia, I wasn't convinced it was over, probably until the fake field goal. Um, it was at that point where I started really? to realize, A, I was like, A, Alabama has is desperate and has no idea how how to to get over this hump. And B, I mean, like right after that, they're down twenty eight points. So that was it. No, it, yeah, they 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 ran the fake field goal and it failed, and then Clemson scored real quick, right? It, so it was that touchdown after after the fake where it was like, oh, yep, yeah, there's no comeback here. Wow. Okay, that's not. I, I don't have a moment. Um, I I I think my my moment might actually be. Not really a good football moment, but it was one of the many, many improbable sideline catches by Clemson. It was the fact that they scored multiple times in the first half by taking the top off of the defense, and Alabama didn't adjust to that. And then um, they were playing some real grabby man, Mm -hmm. which is probably the right thing to do. Yeah, At least the coaches I talked to said that made sense. Um, but that it was funny because they said oh, that that'll make sense, you know, now, but let's see how long they can hold up. Right? right. Because Alabama time of possession all over the field in that game. Right. No, Yeah. They Alabama controlled that game completely except yeah. on third downs. <laughs> so one of the things that the coaches were saying was like, they, they just can't last. This is going to grind. They're going to grind and, yeah. and Clemson's going to fall apart. They're going to have one or two weird bounces. But the thing was, I think that might be my moment was maybe one or two of the, the passes in the third quarter that were just, you know, 99 times out of a hundred and incompletion. And instead Clemson rips off 30 yards. You know, it was incredible. Like they, they gave themselves the most possible margin for error or the least possible margin for error against Alabama. And, and every time it was like, all right, they got to make a play here. They not only made a play, they made a huge play and it it is, It's mind-blowing. They were uh, – and I, I wrote about this um, late – well, no, not even late on Monday. Early, early Tuesday morning. Um, average third down distance in that game, third down to go. Alabama's was 4.5. Like, that's nothing. That That is an extremely manageable – and they're Alabama. They've got Tua. They've got a good run game. They've got all those receivers. They went four for 13 on third down. Clemson's average third down distance was 7.7 yards to go, which is which is death against Alabama. They were 10 for 15 on third down. Four of those 10s uh, went for 200 yards by themselves. It, it's, it, it made no sense. And, and it's funny because, like, that kind of adds a mythical quality to it. It also kind of still suggests to me that if they play, like, a seven-game series, Bama probably wins in six. Um, but they didn't. And, you know, it's best of one and, and Clemson made every single play. And it really, the, the one thing I talked to coaches a lot about that night um, in, in real time, especially was just like even Georgia, you know, they, they played so well in the first half, both of the last two times they played Alabama and they had a good plan and they executed it. But in the second half, the moment there was some kind of like, you know, a, a big play by Bama or a funky bounce or a mistake, like a miss, missed field goal or something, like it just felt like you know the, there there was like an aura of uh oh here we go and there's nothing of the sort when they play Clemson. Like Clemson absolutely believes that they're going to win that game. It's just a matter of 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 making the plays to do so, and then they go out and they make the damn plays. It's super lazy, but it's, sometimes it's true. Where I mean, all the coaches that we watch that game with, more or less just kind of folded their arms in the third quarter and said, well, it's just that kind of game. Yeah. And this is a sport based on sort one of game argue, series. I mean, it's just sort of hard to argue when the people who do the thing say the same real, real, real simple <laughs> statement. But no, it is. It I mean, just, almost every other sport relies on like multi-game series to determine, you know, their playoffs and everything. You can't do that in football. And so you sometimes say one of those games determines the national title. 
Very, very interesting. This is podcast name Play Nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers of words. That is the robot Bill Connolly. You can find him at SBN underscore Bill C. Um, he is the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system. He's the author of multiple books that you can find on the Amazon.com. And probably not a brick and mortar store. The age of reading is, is over. Are uh, there brick and mortar is, stores? Allegedly. Um, in Portland, Oregon. Uh, my name is Steven Greenwood, Godfrey. Mississippi. Greenwood, Mississippi has one of the best I've seen. Just it's so. pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. I've actually yeah, been there a couple of times. Um, anyway. uh, my name is Stephen Godfrey. You can find me at 38 Godfrey. And oh, I hate your team so much. And I'm going to spend my entire offseason working uh, in conspiracy against your team. <laughs> Yours. Uh, we went to the American Football Conference Association Conference. Coaches. Coaches. Coaches what did I say? Conference. Co- Conference Co- Coaches. Co- uh, man, bottom line is this. I'm not going to drink a beer for oh, God. a uh, presidential cycle. <laughs> I feel like that would be an appropriate amount of time. I was back on I was back on newborn baby hours, like a good probably solid four, four and a half a night between like Friday and and Wednesday. It was good times. Ugh. Yeah, I did see you at one point. Um, we were uh, kind of off all individually doing our own things and meeting with people and sources and contacts and sessions and all kinds of stuff. But you were uh, you were burning it at both ends. I mean, it's that's why you go. That's you know that's why we go to this thing. Is just that it is a chance to. Well, it's a chance to save our company money by not asking to go on like 38 different trips, instead catching them all in one. That's what I say. That's my that was my excuse for going. But it, it was good. I mean, it, you you we all had our own to do lists, and we we uh, all had our own to meet list, I guess, and and checked most of the boxes. So, um, gosh, there was a lot of things that happened. Gosh, there's a lot of stories we can't tell. Gosh, there's a lot of things that we're gonna get to. Um, we wrote about this on SB Nation. Yes, people were cheering against Alabama. Um, no one, at least in my timeline, has has gone about uh, screaming about conspiracies or ever been damn jailed to the tide. Uh, mainly because the tide got the brakes beaten off of. I know them. It's, but, it's hard. It's harder to do that when you lose by twenty eight. Oh Jesus! Um, it just feels like it feels like more than twenty eight. Um, I think people were just excited that there's going to be at least. A, a tiny bit of change throughout this offseason that we're just not sitting with another Alabama national title, another Nick Saban national title, uh, another SEC national title for that matter. I think it just it brings about a little bit more fluidity, right? And it 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 helps conversations go along. I think one of the things now, and look, I guess Dabo winning one title would probably already solidify this idea, but winning two is it's it's impossible to argue against it, especially if they beat Alabama twice for those titles. You know, they didn't shirk the favorite or anything like that in either year, but um you can build you can build. You can build a program that's the equivalent to the best the SEC can offer, the Saban era of the Southeastern Conference, and you can beat them. It helps, I think, that Clemson sits inside of the SEC footprint and manipulates and um, exploits things the same way that Alabama does. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, for the top 100 games thing that just came out, um, I keep mentioning it, and then I told Bill before we went on, I was like, let's save that for next week because there's so much other stuff, but we'll, we'll reference it. Um, we're going to make you click on it multiple times, I guess. The entire way in which I look at the fact that Georgia had two leads on Alabama and lost them both once in the national championship and then once in the SEC championship in the calendar year of 2018, you know, and essentially that SEC title was a play-in game, at least for Georgia. I think Alabama might have still been seeded, but uh, Georgia has taken the tougher route because they had to, right? They're going to hire the guy off of, tell me if this is familiar. We're going to take the, take the guy off of, uh, Alabama staff, and we're going to do everything we can to be another Alabama in the SEC. Um, we can count how many times now that's happened and failed yeah. in the SEC? A lot. Um, no matter the fact that Georgia looks better than any of those other imitations and probably is, at least on paper, set to, I wouldn't say eclipse anybody, certainly not Bama, but be able to compete with Bama. They haven't yet. They've lost twice. They've lost in crippling, brutal, they've, they've psychological for, ways. They've competed for sure, but they, yes. they there's clearly another hurdle to go here. Whereas the faith that I think has been reinforced by Monday night is that you can 
in the other pockets and corners of college football, work your ass off and build something that can compete and beat Nick Saban. I think that's what Clemson tells us. Is it easy? No, it's not. Is it possible for everyone? Hell no. It's possible for like maybe 10 programs. But we do not have to sit through some sort of like they're going to win eight out of the next 10 years or, you know, the big, uh, by the way, Bill, (laughs) we laughed the day after because we were both checking our Twitter mentions and stuff. And we see you guys out there deciding, hey, do we have to change Saban or to Dabo or? Right. Um, which I thought was a great joke. But you know what? There's some truth to that. Now I think <laughs> the complexion of a lot of things changes, and that's a good thing. I, I mean, yeah, and I, I like that. I think the most encouraging thing about Debo, by the way, Debo Sweeney, uh, as many national titles as Bobby Bowden and more than Steve Spurrier. I, wow. found that, I found that I found that fascinating to to just kind of come to that realization in my head. But um, I think the most encouraging thing about it is he has followed a different path. Now, obviously, one step of that path is is required for anybody, and that's you know recruit insanely good talent. Um, but other teams do that too, you know, and and don't win. The USC always recruits uh, insanely good talent. That doesn't mean you know they uh, you know finish in the top for every single year. Clearly they don't. So I, I, but I think in terms of the, the culture and the approach besides recruit really well, I think it's really interesting to see what he has built. I mean, he basically from the start, he wasn't a former Cleveland Browns defensive coordinator and a, and a super experienced head coach when he came to his current school. Um, but he, uh, he, he basically, you know, he, he steps back and, and starts to realize over time, here are the things I, I, I really should be focusing my time on. Here's what my strengths are. Uh, I want to hire the best possible assistants. And he finds, he goes out and gets Chad Morris. Uh, and then he finds basically the defensive assistant uh, who is the equivalent, who, who runs a defense that is equivalent to that kind of fast with attitude kind of offense that, that Morris started to establish. Uh, and he goes out and finds Brent Venables. And uh, then he just continues to pay them more to keep them until Morris gets a head coaching job. And then he hires uh, co-coordinators who uh, are able to manage that system. I mean, they they don't do anything particularly innovative on offense now, but they've done a really nice job of basically identifying college football's trends, figuring out where things were going, um, and creating their own version of that that takes advantage of massive talent advantages, steals yards when it needs to, and... Uh, is capable of going over the top on on Alabama's cornerbacks. Now that might be harder next year when those cornerbacks aren't freshmen. Um, you know, yeah. relatively speaking, but um, they uh, they really do. They have he brings the culture and the attitude and the we're, nobody's better than us and we can compete with anybody. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna love you real hard and you're gonna get better and you're not gonna transfer and you're not gonna go pro early. You're gonna stay and we're gonna have an amazing and deep and experienced team every year. Uh, he brings that. He hires good assistants. Um, it, it really is completely different in that way than you know the 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 stereotype of of Saban's system and and the process and the joylessness of a lot of it and all that. It really has been interesting. And and now all that said, we're gonna turn on him real fast because if you win too much, we get tired of you, and we'll get tired of Dabo really quickly. Um, but it, it it is it was impressive. Um. We have to be careful. We usually are about this kind of stuff to not make referendums. You know, right, right. now it's oh, yeah. l- less belief and more idea. Um, certainly, in no way, shape, or form is is anything done over or I think really fundamentally changing in Alabama. Um, no. They're right there next year. They're the same nuisance that you feel them to that you felt them to be this year and years prior and. You know, if you're a Bama fan, you really don't have anything to worry about. It is. I mean, it, it's funny. Over the last couple of years, we've basically seen all of these signs of like, and I wrote my entire Alabama preview about this in this past offseason, about how like under normal circumstances, the like the, the things that usually bring down a coach's dynasty uh, have been thrown at Nick Saban really hard over the last couple of years in terms of uh, new rivals, you know, developing uh, and in terms of losing uh, like 38 assistants per year. Um, and, and, you know, I was concerned heading into the sea of the fact that like basically he had guys who have been more regarded for recruiting than um, tactics at both coordinator spots. And, and I mean, 
that might have cost them the other day because, I mean, certainly Clemson seemed a little more resourceful. I didn't know you were going to go down this avenue, but I think it's something that I want to write about next week is this exact thing, that I think that the the turnover may have finally gotten to them. Maybe. And, I mean, we'll see because, I mean, now there's more By the way, gotten to them for one night. Right. I might not. One night. Right. Like, Loxley's gone, so he's going to hire another offensive coordinator, and we'll see who goes where. But it really was, um, I think the way I put it in the preview was, when his dynasty ends, this is kind of what it'll look like with new challengers and turnover and all that. I mean, they still went 14 and freaking one. On paper, this was probably the second or third best Alabama team of the Saban era. Clearly, they're not fading. But it still caught up to him, at least briefly, and we'll see how he responds to it. I know he wasn't – I saw Bud in Slack, uh, Bud Elliott in Slack, talking about – how, you know, it kind of seemed like with some of the social media posts after the game that this Alabama, the squad of this play, these players were a little more focused on me than the team. And and the coaches were all kind of go getting ready for their next jobs in certain ways. So there might have been a lack of attention here towards the end of the year. And they just hadn't been. Uh, honestly, I think the biggest thing that might, might have, have hurt them is that they had so barely been challenged this year. It was the Georgia game, and that was it. Even the Oklahoma game ended up sort of close, but they were up twenty eight. Oh my god! You just said they'd barely been challenged, and you're talking about the no. You're talking about the champions of the Southeastern Conference. Well, and it's funny though, because I mean, they their strength of schedule is top ten. It's not like it's their fault. Like they didn't schedule hard enough, or they're they're in a weak conference. They just dominated everybody. Um, and they maybe shouldn't have because they didn't know how to handle it when they couldn't. And and Clemson, meanwhile, you know, they they come out with those two near misses in September, make some changes, do what they do every freaking year, basically, and that's uh, like look look okay until they almost lose or do lose, and then hit fifth gear. They do that every damn year. But uh, it it really did seem like they'd somehow gotten to the end of this really hard schedule in a 15 uh, uh, game slate and they didn't really know what to do when they got hit in the mouth a couple of times. I mean, and again, Georgia did. So it's not like that game didn't happen, but those were strange circumstances and Hertz comes in and everything gets weird. I didn't win that game. Oh, Paul. That's right. Um, but it was, it really was just like, you know, they somehow managed to get to the, the second half of their 15th game and didn't really know how to handle the adversity that their opponent was giving them. Uh, and Clemson wasn't backing down at all. So, uh, again, I think, you know, best of seven series, we see what happens, but it wasn't that. And they, they don't have another national title because of it. Huh. Um, man, I hate talking about it this way because we're not talking about the team that won the national championship. Oh, we just did. We just did. A little bit. Yeah, I mean, it was so weird after the game that everyone it, it it were everything is in the context of Alabama. Yeah. So so here you have Clemson with a quarterback who's going to be around for what two more years. Yep. Another dynasty. <laughs> well, they, just, I mean, it feels weird and simple to talk about this, but at the same time, nobody. It's just Alabama. How does this affect Alabama? What does this do to Alabama? How's Alabama yeah. going to respond? Alabama, I'm like, man, Clemson went in there and whooped y'all's ass. Maybe we should talk about the team that whooped y'all's ass. Like, yeah, and I mean, the the you know the front four that that defensive line that was so good that it could handle a Dexter Lawrence um, suspension without even noticing. Let, let's pause for a second. Yeah, if you want to go back and watch that game, which I, I'm planning on doing, I haven't done yet because we just got back from the conference. It is unbelievable how bad Alabama got whooped up front when they had the ball. On third okay. down. Uh, in those short yardage situations. First down, they were fine. They dominated first the down. The earn your money moment. No, I'm talking right. about the earn the money yeah. moments, right? <laughs> Where they've recruited and recruited, and, and I didn't mean that to be an entendre. I really didn't. They recruited and recruited and recruited. That This is it, right? Stud after stud. Now, this was not the best offensive line. They've had some no. issues there. They didn't. They did not have the kind of depth that they normally did at the offensive line. And I talked to two O line coaches in San Antonio who mentioned that right away. However, you hadn't seen that before. Not like that. Not in a game like that. You have not seen that before. And on top of that, Clemson did not have Dexter Lawrence. Right. Now, holy shit. Yeah. They had Cleland Furl, they had Christian Wilkins, they had Albert Huggins, they had Austin Bryant, and none of those guys will be on the team next year. Plus, whoever you know, uh, Kendall Joseph and whoever else maybe goes pro or whatever. Although, you know, again, everybody seems to love coming back for their senior year now at Clemson. Uh, so, what, so, so, what do we think? What do we think about it? See, I'm doing it again. Damn it! 
I'm doing it again. But it, it just, it's where the mind wanders because that brand is so monolithic and it's just, what do you think the failure is there? Is it the, is it the fact that they knew, look, man, you knew Clemson was going in there with some bangers on defense, you know, especially on, on the, on the defensive front, right? You knew what that line was capable of. So you're yeah, Alabama yeah. and you have 150 like former head coaches and CIA operatives as your analysts, right? You do. Yeah. Okay. Um, did they not think that was going to happen? Was that what 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 we saw on third down specifically? Mm-hmm. Was that what they planned to do? Was it a failure of execution? This is what I want to know because we've never seen them fail like this before. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was like uh, when when they were passing, they just did such a good job of number one. I mean, Ferl dominated. What's his name, Jonah Williams? at wrong at the at the right times. Uh, so that helps <laughs> when you've got maybe the best defensive end in the country or one of the two or three best at your disposal and you and he can destroy Jonah Williams one on one. So that was a big part of it. But the short the one area where I really was confused. Well, I mean, besides the, you know, the fake field goal from hell, um, <clears throat> the, the area that I was really confused by just it, Alabama was not very the play call was not what you would call inspired in the red zone. <clears throat> and um Suck. Uh, well, yeah, to, for, to, in a word, <clears throat> but I mean, it, it really, it, they seem to just get confused and go into a shell at certain moments thinking, well, we can get, we can get three yards. Um, and it didn't usually work out that way. They had a chance to, despite the pick six at the beginning of the game, they had a chance to really, really take control of this game. They, they responded right back with that, with the bomb to Jerry Judy, where like, I think at that point we were, we had seen the pick six. We were crossing the street to another hotel bar uh, and they had already scored and were kicking off by the time we got there. Um, but you know, they're still only down 14, seven, they score um, and they score by not running. They, or they, they converted one short yardage and then they throw on second and goal from the one um, to Jefferson city zone, Hale Hinches. Um, but, you know, even with the miss, with the miss PAT, they force a three and out, they get the ball back. They're j- charging straight down the field. Uh, and then first and goal from the two, one yard gain, then a false start, then a short pass. And then um, third and goal, they throw, I, I can't remember if it was a screen to Harris or like a, a flare or something, but it gets pushed way, way backwards for, for a loss. Um, so that was their chance to go up 21, 14, and it was only 16, 14. Uh, then they get the ball back and, uh, to a kind of panics under pressure and throws that, that second interception. And suddenly, instead of being up 21, 14, they're down 28, 16 over the course of whatever that was five minutes or so that felt like they were chasing that moment for the rest of the game. Um, that was a 14 ish point swing that really, really, really caught up to them because then they, they really had to. <clears throat> they had to start going to plan B. They, they, they really didn't know what to do after that. Um, this is the most interested I've been in a national title game, even more so than last year. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what it is. We just, it really one was. of the other things. So one of the other things that matriculated through that night and, and, and again, you're just watching people with so much more institutional knowledge than us. And we know a lot, you know, but these are football coaches and they're just trying to sit around and think like, when's the last time, and this is the direct quote I had from a guy in a, in one of the hotel lobby bars was like, when's the last time they get their ass whooped like this? Yeah, never under Saban. I mean, in the Saban era at Alabama, what is their worst loss going into this? Um, worst loss. The, because uh, I'll be honest, a lot of the, the Manziel win for A&M mm-hmm. and the second, especially, well... The Manziel win against with A and M is is fluky. The second Ole Miss win is extremely fluky. Oh yeah, helmet you know the helmet bonk. Uh, yeah, would be interception turn touchdown. There's a lot of turnovers. There's a really bad decision to start the wrong quarterback. They find out you know weeks later they had the wrong quarterback essentially, and it cost them the game because of the early lead. So, so here are the losses of the Saban era where you could legitimately say like, wow, they got. They don't know what to do right now. They are lost, and they are going to lose this game. Because a lot of that, yeah. you know, the fluky bounce games, the kick six, all that stuff, took a lot. The Johnny Manziel heroics, but la- well, I mean, last year, last year's Auburn game uh, got away from them, and it ended up it ended up only twenty six fourteen. But they really, it didn't feel like they had a shot in that second half. So there was that. Uh, the year before, obviously, their only loss was Clemson. The year before was fluky uh, uh, Ole Miss. Um, 
they got physically pushed around late in that Ohio State loss in 2014, but that was still a one uh, one touchdown game to, where turnovers played a huge role. So you can't really say it in that game. Um, you know, I guess you could count the Sugar Bowl in 2013, the the, well, the 2014 Sugar Bowl against Oklahoma, where they kind of no-showed after the Auburn game and gave up a bunch of big plays. So there was that. That's two, basically. A uh, year before that was Manziel. A year before that was the LSU field goal game. Um, yeah, like those two, South Carolina in 2010, and the, the, the 08 SEC title game against Florida – Kind of got away from them late too, and they lost. That by feels like that feels like the answer. So that's 10, like four games, basically four games years. in eleven seasons. Four games in eleven seasons where that kind of got away from them a little bit. I would say 08 Florida would probably be the last time we saw this, and this was worse than that. Well, it's way worse because I, 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 um, I don't. I was tweeting about something recently, and I kind of mentioned that Florida manhandled Alabama that year, and I got some justifiable pushbacks because it was like a one possession game in the fourth quarter. Um, but it, it, yeah, that was the last time you could say maybe that they got just physically beaten. My apologies to Duke. God, it's not. Gonna it's gonna be. It is gonna be a nasty off season in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> Nick Saban likes David Cutcliffe, an Alabama alumni alumnus, a lot. So maybe, maybe he's nice. Be, yeah, maybe, maybe he's it nice. won't be bloody. No, you do. It is funny with Saban. Like you know, part of him. Like he, he was obviously very disappointed and frustrated, but part of him was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> now we're gonna work." I do think that this actually is you know, not what he wanted, but boy, he's gonna use the hell out of this. Yeah, I mean, this is I, I always say with those FCS games that that they schedule the week before the Iron Bowl. Like he he basically, I swear, he goes in with like the, the most vanilla game plan of all time because he wants them to to get to make some bad plays that he can yell at them about before the Iron Bowl. Uh, and this is going to be an off season's worth of that. Absolutely. Um, okay, so that was a lot of national title game, Monday night game. Yep. Talking about it on a Thursday, but um, it's going to linger. Yeah. It's going to linger for a while. <laughs> Pretty cool, to be honest. And, and again, I'm not saying that to slight Alabama in any way. It's cool that we have something new to talk about, and it does make a chalky year feel a hell of a lot less chalky, you know? Yeah, I mean, remember, how, remember how somebody other than Clemson, it would have un- been even more so. But yeah, we'll take what we can get. You remember like how 07 was the most unpredictable, amazing year ever, and then it ends in a sort of very th- kind of thud way of like a two-loss LSU team. This is kind of the opposite in a way, if you can consider undefeated Clemson to be a darling or surprise. It was interesting. It was it was very confu- coaches were as confused as we were. That made me feel better about it. Yeah, it was really fun to watch. Speaking of, mm-hmm. everyone take a knee. It's story time. <laughs> so you went to this conference. You've been before. Mm-hmm. Um, on national title night, I'm running around talking to people shaking off days of just conversations and tabs and just already fatigued. I think I'd have been there for 24 hours, but I mean, you just grind a lot. You talk to a lot of people, adrenaline's going, you're running around. Uh, you don't sleep much. And you, you, yeah, you ping me and you're like, Hey, let's try and watch the national title game together. I'm like, all right, whatever. Knowing full well that it's impossible to gather. It's just like herding cats at this coach's convention. So, this is going to be more of a PAP and hardcore audience focused joint here. <laughs> yeah. By the way, this like is, it is, this funny, is your like, first, if this is your first PAP and you won't appreciate what I'm about to tell you. Well, I was going to say, uh, it, the whole weekend was basically like you texting, like you would text me and like two hours later I would respond. And then two hours later you would respond and suddenly it's 7 PM. So it yeah. was, it was tricky. We had, we had our yes. own to- about yes. lunch. Yeah. We would text it about lunch at 7 PM. So you and I watched like the first quarter ish of the game in one of the, Big hotel lobby bars. And then you get whisked away to a sweet party. Mm-hmm. And a sweet party is exactly what it sounds like, although this is where well, I want to stop. Not exactly I, what it sounds like. No, 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 no. This is where I want to stop and elaborate. Okay. So a lot of you are like me, um, and probably in college or in my case, the first time we did one of these was in high school, where like you get a standard hotel suite which is basically like a hotel room plus a half another room like with the rollout couch. And so you're like, oh, it's a suite. And, you know, those rooms are built for six people, tops, max, right? 
Um, the first year I ever went to AFCA, it was actually in San Antonio as well. And I went to a sweet party hosted by a then, uh, offensive coordinator who had, I don't know. I don't remember. Anyway, that's not important. What's important is we got invited to a party and it was as much like high school as anything I had done in my thirties. Whereas when you walk in the bathtub to the standard hotel room is like, just like ice down with beer. Yep. There's a keg in the other side of the room and there's 85 dudes jammed there's no women it's an entire convention by the way is there, there are like 12 of them uh yeah or coaches wives and 85 dudes jammed in a room meant for like six people uh, around like two televisions screaming and cussing and you know everybody's got on their team windbreak or whatever um what do you call those shirts well, I mean, what do you, the what, honestly, what do we call it? it? It's not a shacket. Because there are a lot of shackets at the conference, but but the shacket is the shacket is more of an actual windbreaker, right? There's these other things. I've got one laying here because I haven't even packed my suitcase yet. It doesn't really have a name of the shirt though. Like, I, by the way, I wore my Mountain West one. Yeah, I did too. Um, Same day, we we both wore a mount. We both repped the, the Mountain West on the Tuesday. greatest college football conference in America. Um, say something. ABC. What do you call this? What do you call this shirt? I don't, so you I have think... to wear. You can't wear it as a shirt. It has to be. There has to be. It has to be worn over a shirt, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like really, really light, light, long sleeve shirts, right? That's what we're talking about. With here. a half zip kind of deal. Yeah. And you can wear them over a t-shirt. You can wear them over a dress shirt, and they have your school's logo. That's what every coach in a that's what every coach at this deal wears. But I mean, isn't I mean, I think you could just say it's a long sleeve shirt. I think that basically yeah, yeah, yeah. gets. I don't know, but it's not. It's like something specific. By the way, there and was no usually made of like Gore-Tex or Dry Wick or some <laughs> sure. It's all dumb fancy. and it's like seventy eight dollars if you try to buy it at the school bookstore, and they probably yes. they were handed it. I'm sure. Um, by the way, okay, there was no okay. keg here. There was no keg. Just for the record, anyway. No, go no, ahead. no, no. Don't interrupt. So you go and you're like, I have to, I got invited to this sweet party. And I was like, all right, whatever. And I was talking with, there was an athletic director that I knew that was there. There was an AD, a couple of media people I'd run into. And then the AD was introducing me into some co- to some coaches he had worked with. And then also a coach that I knew. And so just kind of like a, a mixed gaggle amongst a thousand people in one of those giant open air lobbies. And you like walk off. Mm-hmm. And so... I don't think I'm insulting you by saying we, we definitely sort of live on my side of the coin when we're at this event, right? <laughs> like if I ever go to Sloan with you, then, you know, I will be the tourist. And accordingly, I'm like, all right, I got to make sure he doesn't get killed or like disappear or, you know, in a bathtub with his kidneys mm-hmm. out or, you know, someone's like, hey, I like your analytics. Come with me. And then, you know, mugged or worse. So around halftime, I'm like, where the f- where did he go? Like, I remember looking around and be like, where's Connolly? And so I was like, all right, well, he went to something. And then I was like looking down at my phone and it was like, okay, um, he went to a hotel suite party. So I'm like, all right, well, I need to go. I need to go get proof of life. So I go up there and the suite parties that I've gone to, like I said, very much like one of those, one of those hotel suites in like Destin, Florida or Gulf Shores where you can vomit on everything and everything can be hosed off or replaced for like $20 at Target. This is not that party. I walk up. Well, this is not that Marriott. This I walk fancy up. Fancy Marriott. Stun on them. Stun, yeah, take a second and stun on them. So Big Shot here got invited to a, a, an actual suite party where you walk in. It's a very large presidential suite with multiple yeah. rooms. And it's hosted. There's like there's uh, signage, you know, yeah. down the hall. Someone directing you. And already I'm like, whoa, this is different. You know, normally it's just a bunch of dudes. And I like I walk in, and it's championship analytics. analytics. Yes. Right. So this is a group of people, and we're gonna go ahead and shout them out because apparently a couple of them listen to the show. And now they so all cha- do. Um, you know, yeah. they're about to. Yeah. So Championship Analytics throws a party. They are a company that works in advanced analytics situationals is yeah. what I call them. Yeah. And I don't do math, so I can call it whatever I want. So uh, they work with a number of uh, college schools. They do some work with the NF- with uh, some NFL people. And, you know, essentially it's a, it's a service. You sign up for it as a coaching staff, school, whatever, and then they help you work on all different types of scenarios and, and really just help inform your decision-making right. in particular situations. That's the simplest way I can say it. They are who helped uh, Army go for it approximately 862 times this year. 
Well, Army, I don't know all, that, I don't Army know. follows championship analytics very, very pretty religiously, and it works. Do they talk well. about that publicly? Because uh, you just so. did. I think so. Anyway, yeah, I think they have. Um, I hope. I hope <sighs> they have. Man, I'm gonna talk to you about how to treat sources. No, no, no. Anyway, no, no, no. no. I think I, I, I think I'm okay here. You I'm, think? I'm googling ch- Army championship analytics. Uh yes, the AP did a story. All right, that's fine. Yeah. Okay, so like I said, I normally go to these things, and it's like a bunch of like you know, I I wear my shacket shirt, you know, I put on the cowboy boots. I this is the first year I forgot to bring a pouch of Levi Garrett, put a plug in, and bullshit for lack of a better term with all these football coaches. It's like a guy's. It's like a persona I can adopt and ease into. Um, it's not very hard for me genetically to ease into redneck. So. Uh, I'm a little worried about the about our our uh, math man boy here, and I'm like, oh god, what's he gotten into? And then I get up there, and it's the nicest, quietest reception, the friendly, and one of the um the wife of one of the uh, people at Championship Analytics walks up, was like, hey, I would like, you don't have a drink in your hand? Oh my god, they have like nice nice drinks, good beers, yeah, good beers, right? And Miller and Miller Light, but a lot of good stuff. Okay, all of this is window dressing. This is an aimless, pointless story until this point. So, I watch your boy here <laughs> become a celebrity. I mean, I'm talking about the nerd who would be king. So I walk in there and I was like, "Hey, what are you? Where? Where have you been? What are you doing? I've been worried, sick, whatever." Uh huh. And there's a group of people, and like as people are standing around, and Rockstar here introduces himself. They'd be like, I'd be like, hey, my name's Stephen Godfrey. I work for SB Nation. They'd be like, okay, fuck, whatever. And I'd be like, and this is, uh, this is one of my colleagues, Bill Connolly. And they go, Bill Connolly? The Bill Connolly? This is not an, hey, this is not a part This is not as much of an exaggeration as, um, as you want it to be. With, but yes. So the nerd who would be king over here. Just you can see him turning like six colors of embarrassment, and I because I'm standing there. That's why, because I came up to look for you. No, I, if I'm this a, shit I'm had happened, man. if this shit had happened and I wasn't there, you just wouldn't have told me. Well, but no, instead, of course not. I'm standing there with all the smart people, and they go, "The Bill Connolly, the Bill Connolly." Oh my god! One guy was like, "Oh my god, it's so great. We're so happy to have you here." And I'm standing there with a beer man, like, "What?" What? Yeah, I am a compliment deflector by nature, uh, so it was. I mean, it, it was a lot. The nerd found his people, and they decided he was king. I watched Return of the Jedi over the holiday break with my kid, my four year old. You know the scene when they get captured by the Ewoks, and then three uh, PO stands up, and they're like, "Oh!" They all find it. They think like three <laughs> PO is their golden king. There you go. They found their three PO. I might get you to slow in one of these years. If I get a saloon, I'm just going to act like a big dumbass because I'm going to be... It is an amazing joy and liberty to walk into a room with a bunch of analysts where you're like, I'm the dumbest dude here. The more jokes I tell, the be- the more the more I engender myself to these people. I don't have to show off anything, right? Because with coaches, you're constant. It's, it's all it's all one-upsmanship. You know that guy? I know that guy. Oh, you talked to that guy? Yeah. What do you what do you hear about this? Like that's the mental taxing that that's the taxing aspect of AFCA. Mm-hmm. Is that I am working on a the world's largest game of like battleship of like <laughs> do you hear about that receiver's coach at Dodd he signed with blah 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 and then like you're faking and bluffing and then you're but you're also trying to like then sneak out of a room and run into a bathroom and text or call somebody to check and see if you're breaking and I walk in into I walk into freaking nerd land where everyone's nice and has awesome alcohol and there's actual chairs you can sit in and did not realize that I had King of the Nerds with me. By the way, uh, September 29th, a story by Ralph Russo of the AP, friend of the show, Ralph Russo. You the will analy- not change the subject. The analytics come in mostly on fourth down decisions. Army is among dozens of Division One football schools that subscribe to championship analytics, which, pro- which provides weekly customized stat- statistical breakdowns for each team based on opponent with recommendations on when to kick, what, when to go for it on fourth down, go for two, and more. I'm not a math guy, uh, Munkin says. I'm not an analytical thinker. I'm a PE major and proud of it, but it made way too much sense to me to argue with he said i think it really fits what we do the bill conley nerd 
I was very proud of you. I was very proud of you mainly because it was fun to see you so uncomfortable. But I was also very proud of you because let me tell you something. My man has started a religion and uh, there's some really smart dudes in that room and they really respect what you do. So you should be very proud of yourself. They were very nice people. I did not plan on hanging out uh, and playing. So, so, so we shot, we, we shot dice. So the game ends. I have to go talk to a head coach at a different hotel lobby. And and meet a small window, and he's gonna walk. He's gonna walk through a lobby. And if you're a head coach, you are going to get pelted with. Yes. with a, hey, man, you know me. We worked this camp together. Da da da. We heard you had a GA or QC opening. It. You know. I'm like, I have a limited amount of time to pursue a conversation with this individual who has sought me out. That's the other thing about this event is I've been doing this long enough now to where I remember guys who just wander the floor, and that's how I met them. You shake their hands, and yeah. then four years later, they have a good job, and they're like, I can't do that. Like, meet me here at this point. You know, kind of like clandestine. So I was like, I leave to go meet some guy. And I was like, are you coming? And you're like, yeah, I'll be down in a second. And then I never see you again. Nope. Because you hung out with your tribe all night. Yep. We shot dice. You shot dice. For a very long time. You shot dice. Yes. And and yeah, like it is a meat market. Uh, It is hilarious when a head coach. Well, uh, like, okay, so um, I think earlier that day, or maybe it was... Hell, I don't know. Time, whatever. Uh, it was one of those nights. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald's there, so I thought, like, I, you know, I, I love his SID. I haven't ever uh, talked to him specifically. I was going to go over and introduce myself, apologize that my numbers hate his team, um, but it was basically whoever I was talking to. I like looked over there, saw Fitzgerald, thought I need to. Go, I'm going to go over, say hi to him real quick. Looked back to the person I was with, looked back, and he was gone. Like it just like one, what they they materialize and they dematerialize, and that is really the only way to go about it. The Bill Connolly. Shout out, by the way, to uh, the Billy Connolly, the Scottish comedian who's uh, battling some health problems at the moment. Well, that then maybe you're about to be the Bill Connolly. Different spelling, but this is so great. It's hard to make someone who's so quiet his, and humble and happy uncomfortable, but I have found it. His, his eyes lit up. I can, I can. Oh my god! No, I wasn't even that subtle. I just immediately, I was like, "Hey, everyone in this room, I'm going to tell this story on a podcast." And here we are. Um, I was very proud of you. You were, uh, <laughs> you were extremely well received and obviously well respected. I was proud I, of myself because I was able to function on like eight hours sleep over two nights. I hadn't, I hadn't asked my body to do that in a while, and I didn't completely fall apart. Um. Yeah. So that was AFCA. A lot of football coaches. A lot of shacket shirts. Shacket shirts. Sure. You think we could go with that? And one thing you notice uh, too is um, the logos that get kind of you know recycled a little bit as you go down into the the FCS Division Two, II, Division Three, etc. Water. Because um, oh, like yeah. you 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 walk by and like oh hey that's a Mizzou logo I don't recognize that per- oh there that's not Mizzou that's you know like Mountain View College yeah. or something instead of black and gold it's like purple and white <laughs> so yeah you uh, gotta- the best one I saw and I and I and if you if you're in disbelief listening to this and you're like well I know all the college logos no you don't know twenty percent <laughs> of the college logos straight up as someone who works in college sports you don't know you know maybe I would say twenty percent is what you know if you if you could look at a logo of every FBS school and name that. Okay, great. What is that? 120 something, right? right? Okay. 30. And then let's say maybe you can name let, let's say you can name all of the major FCS programs. And the SWAC, MIAC. No, they're they're FCS. I know, I'm just thinking like SWAC, MIAC, uh, Ohio Valley, right? Um Missouri Valley. Big Scott. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like as you go through those conferences and, and you're still like, that's that, that's that, that's that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. You can do it with the Ivies. Cool, cool. There's still like 7,000 other colleges in America. I know. It really, like that's one of the things that I always love about like just kind of discovering about the sport is it, it's it's so big. It is so freaking enormous. And and you don't maybe there are a lot of ways to realize that, but one of them is going to a conference where there are ten thousand head uh, or not head, but college coaches in attendance. It is a massive sport. Uh I, I do regret the fact that Dana Holgerson was there. Um, but unfortunately was one speaking, mm-hmm. two, not really staying long because he now lives in the city of Houston, so he was like a three hour drive. And three had to work the entire time because he was interviewing staffers rather than the last time I saw Dana, 
Holgerson at AFCA in which we log some bar time. And I'll leave it at that. Um, there were uh, a bunch of like seminars. It was all pretty standard, pretty rote. Um, the targeting suggestion thing that they came up with at the end seems ludicrous to me um, because we're going to start trying to decipher intent. We want to give that yeah. power to officials. Well, and I, I think there's a way to do that. You know they won't because they, if they did, they would do it with face masks too. Um, they got rid of the five-yard face mask, even though it's very clear uh, most of the time when it's inadvertent, uh, when it's not. Because I mean, I, I think I think I, face I think, masks are way easier to do than targeting. Well, I don't know though, because there are, we've seen targeting calls where you know the you know the running back lowered his head at the last second and, and stuff like that. Where you, I don't know. I think you could tell intent that for. You can read intent properly for I'm going to say 75 or 80 percent of targeting calls. The other 20 percent really? are going to be a crapshoot. Um, Dude, that's a, that's bold. But that also the other thing I was thinking about is if you if you introduce this is basically like the old incidental face mask penalty. Um, if there's an incidental targeting versus an intentional kind of thing, they they want it to be they still want the the incidental one to be a, a I think a 15 yard penalty, but just no ejection. Right? That was the the line they were trying to draw. Um, like I, I think, especially when if you re- when you review these things, you can tell because there are. I, I think there have been many times where maybe they don't call it if it's close, but they think it was accidental, and they don't want to be responsible for for throwing the guy out of the game. So I, I think it would pro- it could work out, but we know how these things go. We don't. We don't. We they're only going to change the rules if it goes in the direction of more enforcement or more player safety. They're not going to. They don't want to let anybody off the hook. So I don't think that rule is going to pass. But I I understand it, and I think it would work pretty well if they wanted to. Um. So since we last recorded, a uh, couple coaching items were starting to slow down. Slow down. <laughs> I um, guess. Yeah. Uh, Matt Rule's not going to the Jets, um, and the most publicist reason why is that he did not get the amount of staff control that he needed. Yeah, um, seems uh, like a pretty good reason. <laughs> so just just for the record, in 2019, someone was like, you know, I don't want to make concessions to the New York Jets. I'm good here at Baylor. Just want to throw that out there. Well, and, and um, the New York Jets were also like, hey, we want to hire you, but we don't want you to hire anybody. I understand. So uh, uh, I get this question a lot. It is a perennial question to the point where I guess we should probably just write an explainer and then hit it every year. Um, Why that happens. There's a couple, there's like a handful of reasons. None are great. Why coaches are asked to be saddled with coaches that they didn't hire. Head coaches are asked to be saddled with assistants that they didn't hire, I should say. And more often than not, it's it's a money issue at a lot of schools. So sure. you'll see this in the group of five where they're like, hey, we actually had this. We hired – and group of five schools try and avoid this for this specific reason. But you'll come in and say, hey, we've got this guy who's been on staff for a while. He's got one or two more years on his contract. We really don't want to eat this buyout or we really don't want to pay this off and then help – you know, and then you have your salary pool that we have to fund for your, your guys. That happens a lot. In this case, it wasn't that. It was the dumbest and most insulting thing. Which was, <laughs> they they said we want you to be our head coach, college guy. We don't trust all your decision making, though. Right, because there's the nothing we want more in a head coach hire than a guy we don't trust. Um, and and I mean, Matt co- Rule is about the most gregarious coach you'll ever meet. Like he, I'm sure he'd have gotten along with whoever he was forced to take on. But good on him for basically saying, you know what? No, I, I no. <laughs> it's just so dumb. Um, another dumb one. Um. USC, they <laughs> at first make a stand of not letting their brand new offensive coordinator talk to NFL teams. Yeah. Always a weird move publicly. And then he just up and quits and takes the job, which I'm sure that timeline will be um, uh, reimagined, <laughs> <laughs> retconned, if you will, uh, for for PR sake. But uh, Kingsbury ditches USC, as he should have, is now the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, so... Good on him. By the way, someone dug up a video of him at Texas Tech yeah. talking about how awesome Kyler was. So just a thought. Yeah, he, he um, actually said, like back in October, if it, if I had the power, he'd be the number one pick or something to that effect. Now, he's got an out because he does have a top 10 quarterback from last year on the roster. So if he wants to if he wants to get out from, from under his words, he doesn't 
he, he could just say, well, obviously Kyler's great, but we have a, we had a quarterback, so it didn't make sense. He, he has that out moving uh, forward. But, or he could just trade Josh he, Rosen. Or he could just trade Josh Rosen and draft Kyler Murray. That'd be fine, too. Could you not trade Josh Rosen for a late first? I don't know yeah, anything don't know. about this. But so, also, they might, like, I don't know. They're really, 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 really curious what kind of evaluations Kyler Murray does. You, so you're the Arizona Cardinals. You hired Cliff Kingsbury. You sure as hell didn't hire him for his prestigious work at USC. You hired him for what he did and has done his entire career at Texas Tech, right? Right? Yeah. On offense, yes. Okay. So you sure as hell want to go get Kyler Murray. You want someone who can be as, as much of a fit for that and then also have the physical skill set to expand upon that. Then, I mean – yeah, he's going to be better my, than Josh Rosen for Cliff Kingsbury in every way. My counterpoint would be um, he, he needs to be drafting defensive players. He needs that defense to be recklessly talented defensively and just let you know let him figure out the offense. That, We're that not entirely my... sure if he knows that there is a defense. <laughs> I'm happy about the hire. I, I mean, I'm, I'm oh no, I'm I think it's just great. as a thought experiment. I love the hire because also that, who I, shoved a two by four sideways up the ass of every NFL writer? about this infiltration or terrible <laughs> influence of the Sean McVay era. Yeah. First off, he's y'all's, not ours. All right. Yeah, that's right. And that's that, the funniest part. Like, all these college we, coaches, da-da-da. Sean McVay has, you know, he wasn't a college coach. Sean McVay is pure NFL. God forbid he figure out that scoring points is awesome, wins games, and then is fun to watch. Yeah, that's we don't want any of that. What a Nazi. Uh, yeah, yeah only, everyone was all assy about Cliff's press conference and the stuff he said, like it was too cliche. And I'm like, dude, I trust me, I've sat through, I sat through what, how many years? You can six only... years of Mike Smith press conferences <laughs> as a fan? Are you kidding me? Yeah, what the hell do you want him to say in your in your press conference that is actually going to mean anything or reassure whatever doubts you have about him? If I was a GM or even even the head of PR for an NFL team or college team, which that won't happen if anybody's smart, I just walk out there and be like, hey, guys, we're dumping this. Um, Coach is excited to be here, and he wants to win football games. That's it. You don't have to say, like, we're going to be multiple and aggressive on defense, but we're going to surprise you on (laughs) offense. Just be like, yeah, hey, we're going to try and beat y'all's ass. We'll see you in September. Yeah, the only job below the NFL that uh, Sean McVay has had since he got a job as like an assistant, assistant, assistant coach at 22 was one year he spent with the Florida Tuskers of the UFL. That was his one. But that's still not college. No, it was his one non-NFL and it was still pro or semi-pro or whatever. Um no, it is the the all the little links we're making right now are just are are, are really pretty funny because the whole point right now is that he's touched Sean. He had a conversation with Sean McVay one time. Um, also, so they're, why they're is for, everybody getting mad about that too? Yeah, I, I do find it just funny that you know even when everybody's ragging on that, like oh the requisite Sean McVay reference. I was like again. If anything crawls out of Bill Belichick's ass, it's the head coach of the Broncos. I did enjoy. I did enjoy that the Cardinals, in their press release, it said he is Sean McVay's friend. That was funny. That was very funny. It's hilarious. It is. It is funny. It is genuinely funny. But look, like, eat me. You guys are the most (laughs) reductive sports league in the world. And this is the funniest part, though. Like, they're actually making progressive hires, but it's still by being stupid copycats. And, like, to the extent that it is about Sean McVay, it is the same copycat league thing as everything else. It just so happens that this time they're they're, they're being a copycat for something that's actually fun. How Jack Del Rio did not get at one of these openings, I just beyond. <laughs> well, that's fine. Like at the rate we're going, he'll he'll be coaching. He'll be a head coach at college next year. Ooh, also, let me say this: USC. Now that now that Cliff's not going there, Ugh. let me say this before we get back to the USC matter at hand, like the journalism hat. Oh, yeah, if that. you took the same redundant, recycled NFL coaches that are out there, right, Mike Munchak, Jack Del Rio, right, all those guys, and you put them in college at a, at good P fives, they would not survive. It, they would not survive. If you did the same thing in reverse, they would survive. They would succeed because they know to innovate. Why is this so hard? Why, why I don't understand why, with all the evidence on one side of the table, yeah, that that being reductive and iterating and iterating and iterating and iterating does not create success in the NFL. <laughs> I I saw. Um... It hasn't happened yet, and maybe it won't. But I did see that. What's I'm blank on his name. The Patriots linebackers coach uh, is getting a lot of 
attention for he was getting he was interviewing and stuff and I mean good for him great I'm, I'm happy for him and his family but um New England's defense has stunk for the last two or three years and he's not even the defensive coordinator and he's still he's been in a meeting with Bill Belichick and he's still so he's getting job interviews to my uh, Brian Flores uh yeah I think so I think so yeah maybe he's awesome I don't know but it, it oh still- man he's a month older than me god I'm broke well that's what um, you, yeah you've got you've got a month to catch up to where he's at in life his entire career has been with the patriots nice his entire career can he wear but can he rock sweatpants and grump at press conferences that's really the the god the nfl remind it's funny because we've we've touched on it we've even made our own listeners mad a couple times this year but like it does suck (laughs) it does we 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 want to talk in pieces at times about the NFL again as the like the tendrils of college football extend out. Yeah. But when you get to talking about the league in its own terms and right. its own settings, like it is shit. Yeah, no, I've created my own terms for talking about it this year and I like those terms and I've had fun talking about it, but I have to basically I have to stick to those terms because it gets so gross uh the moment you step away. It is okay. We're going to go down this road for a second. So one thing I have noticed, I have read more NFL stuff just to kind of compare notes or make sure I'm keeping up with injuries or whatever, uh, as as I now write about it too. Um, And even whether my followers like it or not, I put out two giant playoff pieces today and the top 100 games of the year list. I'm freaking exhausted. But – you know, the, the top 100 games will get, you know, triple digit retweets and all this. I think the two playoff pieces combined as things currently stand have like four retweets. It really is. I like every time I post something on the NFL, I almost hear from my computer, my Twitter followers going, Ugh. but I'm not going to stop. Well, I'm not going to stop. So unfollow me if you need to. But I'm I think that I think a stop. lot of that, though, is that you've got you have to train audience. Yeah. And we're training. We're in the process. This is a lot. This is a, you know, either I'm going to break them or they're going to break me. I'm not sure. But anyway, well, we're not here to tell you that the league is good. We're here. We're no. here to tell you that football can be amazing yes. and interesting. Football and is interesting, even in the NFL at times. Is basically times. the goal here. So many qualifiers. But, but it is back. like, um, like when I was writing the AFC part. I mean, I'm looking forward to both of the AFC games this weekend. NFC less so, but. Um, like I, I realized the other day, like as I was putting together stuff for the Chargers Patriots, it was kind of like starting from scratch because everything I had read about Chargers Patriots so far was Rivers hasn't beaten Brady. Rivers hasn't beaten Brady. Rivers hasn't beaten Brady. Rivers hasn't beaten Brady. Like that's the only thing that it, it really is narrative heavy in a way that even writing about college football hasn't prepared me for. Like their narratives are so unbreakable that you can't stray from it. And um, so I did acknowledge that Rivers has a relatively unfavorable record against Tom Brady, but it was like a half sentence. And and so uh, it's a really, really interesting matchup otherwise. And I really think the Chargers might win. I hope they do. Um, but anyway, the end. Oh, if the Chargers and the Eagles win this weekend, then I'm pumped. I didn't say Eagles. Um, <laughs> I didn't say a damn word about the Eagles. Let's not let's not let's, uh, let's uh, you, you can insert your own hopes there, but I think uh, the Chargers. Uh, oh, it's not going to happen. I'm so pissed about it. Um, Chicago could have fixed a lot of problems. Oh um, man, that was that. Speaking of fun things to watch in a bar. Oh, and coaches, there was a doink in the national. There title was a game. double doink. In, oh well, yeah, there was a doink in that. Yeah, there was a doink in that game too. But yeah, the double doink where it hits the upright and everybody goes, oh, and then nobody can tell if it went through immediately until the ref mm-hmm. signal. And so there was a double, oh, from the bar. That was fantastic. That was better than anything in the title game, I think. Um, a lot of doinking on the, on the do- field goals. These doinking. Days. Point after. It's very strange. Um, that's the name. That's going to be the title of this episode. A lot of doinking. A lot of, do- a lot of doinking. Um, yeah, we're, uh, we're also still very, very punchy. Uh, a couple other things. Chip Lindsay goes to Troy. Um, why is everybody salty about Chip Lindsay? Jake Smith, uh, in our in our Ask PAPN hashtag Ask PAPN. So which is worse, Kansas hiring Chip Lindsay or Troy hiring Chip Lindsay? Damn, yeah. Jake. Know, is this is this an is this Auburn related anger? Yeah, it has to be. Um, he's no, he's a KU fan. Oh, I don't okay. know. Well, uh, um, he got hired because if you look at his resume, he has a ridiculous amount of experience. Yeah. Uh, in the Alabama high schools. Yeah, and he's got enough bona fides uh, on the collegiate level. They'll be fine. 
It's a yeah, good program. I, you, if you know and understand your your surroundings at Troy, you can be very successful. That's why Neil Brown went there. Neil Brown was, you know, from Kentucky, but had coached there long enough as an assistant to understand the surroundings. Yeah, no, he he had good offenses at Southern Miss. At least one really good offense at Southern Miss. I don't remember completely. Pretty sure his his twenty sixteen Arizona State offense was really good. And again, I understand. That we want to like when offenses struggle, all of a sudden we want to always talk about how like you know we, we want to always treat it like their their stuff just doesn't work anymore and they're they're outdated or whatever. But Auburn struggled this year because their offensive line was horrible, and there aren't plays you can call. <laughs> there aren't many plays you can call uh, that will work more than once when your offensive line is horrible. And I mean, I, I would say the rest of his resume kind of gives him a pass for how iffy Auburn's offense was at times this year. Um, and, and otherwise his resume is lovely. And I had forgotten actually about all the um, Alabama high school experience from 97 to 2012. Yeah, he's all over there. Like 16 years, uh, 13 of those years he was coaching Alabama high school and two of those years he was coaching Georgia high school. Um, circling back on USC. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that very, very interesting situation there. I just hope that this doesn't become kind of like a, you know, a scorned thing where he turns around and tries to hire somebody who won't leave. He needs, an that's exactly what they're going to do. <laughs> I know. I know. And I'm trying to will it out of fruition because he needs an aggressive and innovative hire. He made one and he lost the guy, but others are out there who probably won't get hired by the NFL tomorrow. Don't just go into a pro style shell. This is your opportunity out. And I'm not, I'm saying that like, well, as somebody who kind of understands, understands how this, this works, but also as somebody who really, who loves nothing more than watching ridiculously cocky and explosive USC offenses function at a very high level. Uh, and it's not going to happen if you just find another team Martin to bring in. I do wish Kingsbury all the success in the world. Yes. Especially now that the dumbs have started dumbing on him. But uh, we, we were robbed of a potentially badass USC resurgence. I know. I was really I think this just puts to a lot of heat right, <laughs> right back on him too. Um, Auburn is always the de facto job opening. Like you're like, what? What job's gonna open? You have to say Auburn. I think it's like legally required. <laughs> but man, then there's USC. Yeah, you know, it's it, it could be like neck and neck to see who fires who first. Although I think USC would go a little bit longer just because they're a little less insane, and I mean that as a compliment. If you're listening, Auburn. <laughs> Um, but all right, let's go ahead and do it. So I saw Jeb Fish's like, name floated around. I don't know if that was a Bruce Feldman thing or not, but I saw his name. That's not horrible, but it's still, I, I would like him to get God, a little Jed more Jeb Fish's name for coordinator job. Like he has Troy Calhoun is interested levels of, of I know. prevalence in these damn <laughs> things. Um, okay. Oh, oh, wait, that's 2020. Never mind. My evil laugh. Hang on. Yeah, seriously. It was a really – well, they opened with Alabama in 2020. That's why I was laughing evilly. Um, okay. Yeah, they can get fired real fast at USC. You ready? Yeah, they always start They they always start with a tough slate, don't they? The bye week is October 5th. Bill, could I interest you in uh, back-to-back game one and two, Fresno State, Stanford? <laughs> On <laughs> Then the following week, you're going to go to BYU. Why don't you sign that? And then – you're back home for Utah and then at Washington. Those are your first five games. You could go one and five. One and four. Sorry, four. math. You could also go four and one. There aren't uh, impossible games there. But wait, but, there's more. But you come back from your bye on October 12th and you have to go to Notre Dame. Nice. He's getting fired before Halloween. One thing he has going for him is Fresno does lose uh, Marcus McMarion and Keyshawn Johnson. So there is that. That's something. Meanwhile, let's just see who's let's just see who has the potential to do the, the crazy hire first. That's all I'm saying, okay? Meanwhile, you have fbsschedules.com. Don't fail me now. I don't want this one. Okay, thank you. Um they they redid their interface and it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of hard to like mouse over and then find Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Still love you. Okay. Your bye week is October twelfth, Auburn. Oh, okay. These are your first. Okay. These are your first six. You ready? 
You open in, uh, in Arlington at uh, Cowboy Stadium with Oregon. Home for Tulane. Go Wave! Home for uh, Kent State at A&M, Mississippi State at Florida. Nice. Mm. That's, that's three pretty damn tough trips away from home. I know I'm supposed to say something. You're not supposed to have long pauses on audio, but um, man, that's a push. Yeah, that's really hard. That's a push. Yeah, because I mean, that's a, this like is a, this is a hell of a prop bet. Auburn doesn't way. even have to underachieve; they could be a top 15 caliber team and start the year three and three. They'll fire their coach. They'll fire their coach right now. They don't care. <laughs> and then they'll after the bye week, they'll eat at, that dog poop. They'll cut at, off that. They'll cut off their toe. They don't care. It's at Arkansas and at LSU after the bye week. And this is, I mean, this is uh, Auburn's damn fault, by the way. They schedule like this every freaking year. Well, Auburn schedules like Alabama does because, I mean, you know, bar <laughs> set. Yeah. And they don't do the uh, the major neutral site every year. They do it a lot. But... No, but they always have a kind of a, a, a big non-com, non-com, like a rom-com, non-con game. Non-con. Because, um, yeah, before, all right, so, so it was Washington this year. Uh, they had, I mean, obviously, year. they had a home and home with Clemson the two years before that. I take it back because in 2020 they opened with North Carolina back in Atlanta. Oh, so. well, that's something. They that's are... a respite. <laughs> that's a respite. Maybe. Man, you Louisville down, was 2015 Mac, neutral huh? against Louisville. They had really oh at K State in 2014. Yeah, they always have a good non-con game lined up. Um, okay, so there you have it. Um, I'm going to go with USC. I would like they're to gonna, wait. They're going to fire him that. before Auburn yeah. fires Gus. I still want to see what hire he makes because that isn't – that's a really tricky – it's tricky for them because it's it's massive anxiety throughout and that if they lose one of those games, no matter who yeah. it is. Like Auburn can can legitimately say, like, hey, we just lost to top 10 teams. What do you want here? Um, I, I realize that won't satisfy people. Right, but, but you, USC but, has a good shot of losing to Fresno at home. Sure. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like any any loss that they suffer will be, oh, it's over. It's over. It's over. And and so that's probably going to make the difference there. I do think. I mean, four and one's on the table, though. I do. Do I you just, not think that the that? I mean, do do you doubt yield madness of the planes? That if they lose to Oregon. Uh, well, I think the the overall the the consensus is stronger if. USC wins uh, loses one of these games than Auburn. I, I, I'm I, I I'm not betting. I I'm never ever ever gonna bet on anything with Auburn because <laughs> there there's a the level of uncertainty there is is always pretty spectacular. But Indeed. I'm just saying losing to Oregon on a neutral site is different than losing at home to Fresno or losing on the road to BYU. Okay, Bill, we gotta get out of here. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We. I'm glad we didn't have much of an agenda in mind here. Nope, we rambled. We talked a lot about NFL and a lot about a game that happened between two very popular teams like almost a week ago, so we were very off-brand. Well, that's fine, because in another week, uh, we're going to talk about the week-old top 100 games of the year list. So, Okay, don't get salty. You you get enough traffic, all right? God, you're famous now, and it should go straight to your head. I was on television once (sighs) on a phone app that got canceled. It's on Um, YouTube now. All right. Uh, next week, you guys have homework. Your homework is this. I want you all to go and check out the Top 100, which is available right now at SBNation.com. Go to college football or just look on our social medias. I want you guys to ask us questions as they pertain to the Top 100 because we're going to break it down in one episode. That sound good? Does that make you happy? <laughs> right now. Uh, God, the-, the Bill Connolly. Jesus. There are, I have 111 retweets slash likes for the Top 100. Um, in the two NFL pieces, I have a combined 15. <laughs> Shut up, Maddie. It's the Aussie. Oh, fine. We can go. We can go. All right. See you next week. Yeah.